Hi, I'm Jill Weepking, and this is the eighth episode of Song and Scuffle. Song and Scuffle is a podcast for people who struggle with faith questions. Sometimes the enigmas and perplexities of Christianity discourage me. I become disheartened when I can't explain everything. This week's Scuffle Point hovers around that and around making peace with mystery and imagination, coming to terms with the mysteries of faith. Our song for this week is called I Need a Place to Dream. It's a song sung from the perspective of a young child in school. She is an amalgamation of me as a child and also of students I've taught over the years. Her voice expresses feelings of frustration. She's feeling hemmed in by stultifying worksheets and by the seemingly endless striving for dull and lifeless facts. Facts which are true, but to her, it's truth without beauty or joy. I remember as a child experiencing weariness with the repetitive quest for one right answer in math and in grammar classes. I felt impatient. It seemed like life outside of school held so many fascinating possibilities and captivating ideas. Why did we spend so much time sitting at desks with worksheets in front of us? Why did grown-ups think that truth always boiled down to one right answer on a piece of eight and a half by 11 paper? I think the author, Madeline Lengel, and I are on the same wavelength about this. I'm going to quote her a few times here. She said in her book, A Circle of Quiet, An infinite question is often destroyed by finite answers. To define everything is to annihilate much that gives us laughter and joy. End of quote. We are taught to trust only facts, but facts are not all there is to truth. And my journey of faith is a journey toward truth. Here's another Madeline Lengel quote. Truth is what is true, and it's not necessarily factual. Truth and fact are not the same thing. Truth does not contradict or deny facts, but it goes through and beyond facts. This is something that's very difficult for some people to understand. Truth can be dangerous. End of quote. For example, a fictitious story about a mouse can have a lot of truth about humans in it. I'm thinking of the book by Kate DiCamillo, 
called Despero. Despero is a mouse who's in love with music and stories and a princess. The story about Despero takes the reader on a journey through good and evil, darkness and light, conformity versus nonconformity, revenge and forgiveness, kindness, bravery, and chivalry. In this sweet fantasy tale, there is much truth about life, which comes to us through a fictitious mouse and the rat that he contends with. In the story about Despero, much is revealed about the hidden corners of human hearts. And come to think of it, Jesus told stories all the time. His parables are packed with truth. I need a place to dream, to not be in a hurry, a space to say that it's okay, and I won't have to worry. In most schools, kids are trained to sit still, memorize, and then regurgitate facts. And facts are true, but truth doesn't end there. There is so much truth and beauty beyond factual information. Madeleine Lengel also said, It is through the world of the imagination, which takes us beyond the restrictions of provable fact, that we touch the hem of truth. Truth is eternal. Knowledge is changeable. It is disastrous to confuse them. End of quote. What we know is always changing, but truth, the person, is eternal. My last quote from Lengel is a conversation between a young girl named Una and her teacher, Mrs. Franklin. Una says, Mrs. Franklin, do you really and truly believe in God with no doubts at all? Oh, Una, I really and truly believe in God with all kinds of doubts, but I base my life on this belief. Theologian G.K. Chesterton once said, The trumpet of imagination, like the trumpet of the resurrection, calls the dead out of their graves. End of quote. What if Christians could imagine our neighbors as people to be loved? What if we could imagine church as a family? Singer-songwriter Krista Wells agrees with Chesterton. She says about his quote, I think that is absolutely true. The trumpet of imagination like the trumpet of the resurrection, calls the dead out of their graves. I think we are looking around the world at a lot of half-dead people, and you walk into a room and bring a little bit of creativity, and 
people wake up. And this is the life we were meant to live. End of quote. Then speaking about the Christian faith, Wells says, it's not about salvation alone. It's what we were saved to. What we are being saved to is a life of abundance. We've got to get beyond the idea that mental assent to a set of doctrines or creeds is enough. That might be enough to ensure eternity in heaven, but is that enough for heaven here? Is that enough to bring the kingdom here? End of quote. I know this world is not our home. We can't expect the world, this earth, to be heaven. But we can expect abundant life, life that is rich and full and fruitful, creative and alive with ideas and relationships. I'm scuffling with something else Wells goes on to say. I quoted part of it already in episode 7 last week. But it's relevant here, so I'll quote it again. She says, In the church we sing about the Creator God all the time. We sing about God making all things new, but the church might be the hardest place to bring a new idea or a new practice and have it welcome. Coming from a Christian worldview, we believe in an invisible God. We are staking our lives on following someone we cannot see. We read from ancient texts which require a lot of imagination to even get through. We are staking our hope on the possibility that there is this kingdom, this kingdom coming. And that the kingdom is here, but that it's also there. We can't see it. It's already, but not yet. Yet we are afraid to be really creative and imaginative, but it's all requiring our imagination. Knowing that, I would think that things that come out of the church and out of creative people of faith would be the most imaginative, breathtaking works that there are on the planet. Unfortunately, that's not always true. leads me to an article by C.S. Fritz, the author of Goodnight Tales, and a quote from an article on a website called The Ark, Stories to Inspire Faith-Filled Living. Fritz says, does faith require imagination? In current times, many of us are passive with imagination and allow culture and society to do the imagining for us. Culture is constantly preaching what should be, for instance, beef it's what's for dinner, or what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. These are cultural invitations to imagine what could be. In the Christian's case, developing imagination is critically important, but easily overlooked. It's sad for anyone to lose their imagination, but it's especially tragic for a Christian to lose their imagination. Perhaps at this point, and I'm still quoting C.S. Fritz, Perhaps at this point, I run the risk of losing readers who associate imagination purely with the delusional and mythical. But faith accompanied by imagination is so much more than this. Christian faith is based on reason and fact. So how do we merge biblical faith with imagination? Consider the following three ideas about the interplay of imagination and faith. First, let's begin with the definition of imagination. What are we really talking about? Imagination is the action of forming ideas or concepts not present to the senses. Imagination is simply 
the ability to visualize that which is not visual, to see the unseeable. Many in the business world would call this casting a vision. Creatives call it art. Perhaps imagination is scary for some because it transcends intellect and what we can feel and hold. Logic may change our mind, but it's the interplay between imagination and faith that changes our life. Second, can we take imagination too far? Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. So it's faith that calls us to imagine, but to imagine with biblically correct assurance. Third, how does this change us? When our imagination is biblically developed, we start to see people and things the way God sees them. Christians are called to imagine what could be and what will be, while also living in the present. For example, as kingdom citizens, it's a calling to see others as people to be loved, not as enemies. As a second example, consider our bodies. They are no longer merely physical. They are to be imagined as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And how are we to envision the church? We are not a group of misfits. We are to imagine the church as a family. This is the way of Jesus. This is how God sees us and desires us to envision one another. In many cases, the development of imagination is the first step toward faith. Imagining what the Holy Spirit can do in our community, in our workspace, in our classroom, and in our church prepares us to perceive with our senses what faith tells us is true. Francis Schaeffer once said, The Christian is the one whose imagination should fly beyond the stars. I'm ten years old and I've been told I must do my best and ace the test so I can join the race. My best is to pursue my quest for dreams, for dreams. Have you ever heard someone say, the longest journey we will ever take is the 18 inches from our head to our heart? Pastor and author John Piper asks, how can I get my faith from my head to my heart? How can I move from ideas to affections, from thought to feeling? How can I experience felt thought? For surely this is a good longing. Jesus meant for the truth in the head to awaken passion in the heart. He said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 8, 32. That's the end of the John Piper quote. So the scuffle for today is this. How can we move that 18 inch distance from mental ascent to a set of doctrines and creeds to a heartfelt, passionate, joyfully lived out faith? Again, I'll quote Krista Wells. If we are to love our neighbors before anything else, we must see our neighbors with our imagination as well as with our eyes. That is to say, like artists, we must see not just their faces, but the life behind and within their faces. Here, it is love that is the frame we see them in. The work of imagination is dealing with very real things, 
imagination is seeing more deeply, and when it's anchored in love for God and love for others, it's good for all of us. It's for everyone, and it's exactly what Jesus Christ was all about, seeing people and seeing the world deeply and more truly than it sees itself, than we see ourselves. If you focus on Jesus' interactions with people, he doesn't seem to have ever been in a hurry. He took the time to see them and to see beyond what they knew of themselves. So if they said, what do I have to do to get into heaven? He was like, well, let me tell you something about you, what I see. And that's what we want to be about. So this is about seeing and learning to see. It's important to see yourself imaginatively. Seeing yourself as better than you actually are helps a person to traverse scary terrain. See yourself as someone who has something to say. Imagine that God can be working through you even when you are not delivering perfection yet. Imagine God to be bigger than your mess. That's the end of that quote. And I would like to share one more final quote, and this one is from author Emily Freeman. We have the power to spin the invisible into something we can see through our choices and our words. It sounds mythical, but really it's just living. The feeling of empathy becomes a warm meal delivered by a neighbor. A desire to connect becomes an email invitation extended to a friend. A loss becomes a melody in the hands of a musician. A difficult concept is worked out through story on a writer's page. We know that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Colossians 1.17. That means Jesus doesn't only live in the serving, the invitation or finished song or story. He doesn't only show himself in the part we can touch and hold in our hands. He lives in the action, yes, but he also dwells in the longing. Just as important. Sometimes more difficult to honor. He lives in our imagination as well as the daily grind. The empathy came first then the meal. The desire for connection came first, then the email. The loss came first, then the song. The longing to understand came first, and then the story. As we continue to learn what it means to meet Jesus in the produce aisle at the grocery store, or in that quiet conversation with a friend, or in that frustrating moment with grumpy children, or behind piles of paperwork, may we also learn what it means to meet him in our imagination. Let's pay attention to the thoughts before the action, to the longing before the move. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He could have shared his love with the world in any number of ways, but he asks us to have faith in something we cannot see. He hands the gospel to mere men and shares his love through story. He is asking us to honor this sacred space of our imagination. May the wisdom of our grown-up hearts sing well with our childlike curiosity. May we not be so quick to dismiss what we cannot see with our eyes. May we be willing to see his face in the tangibles and the intangibles. As we wake up to imagination, may it be shaped around the image of God. End of quote. I'm going to make that into a prayer for us today. Jesus, may we not be so quick to dismiss what we cannot see with our eyes. May we be willing to see your face in the tangibles and the intangibles.
And as we wake up to imagination, may it be shaped around the image of God. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Song and Scuffle. I'm honored that you joined me to scuffle with mystery, imagination, and faith. Join me again next week for an episode called, I Believe, But Maybe Not. We'll hear a story about a 90-year-old woman who got pregnant and learn a bit about her shaky faith. Until then, may your heart sing well with childlike curiosity and try to imagine what could be and what will be.